Hey, I'm Matt Adams. Welcome to this special edition of the Fairways of Life show. We put together these holiday shows for you, one, so that you guys could enjoy some of the things that took place over the course of the last year, maybe that you haven't heard or seen, or maybe that you want to hear or see again. It's certainly a time for us to kind of chill out, too, and enjoy the season alongside of all of you. And it was alongside of all of you that we were able to build the fairways of life such as we have the last few years into a global program. So we say thank you to you for allowing us to do that. Yeah, it started on the audio side, and we're still there on the audio side. But now it's moved on to the television side as well. We're still beta testing, but it will continue to expand, and we're really excited about sharing with you the details of what we have in store coming up in 2021 and beyond. We also want to thank all of our partners for making this possible. BridgestoneGolf.com, one of the primary ones that made it possible for us. And their message to you is simple. The one piece of equipment that you're going to use every time you swing the club is your golf ball. Make sure that you are properly fit for your golf ball. You can get VFit at BridgestoneGolf.com. And you also can find out what golf ball is right for you. Maybe one of the new Tour B golf balls with the revolutionary reactive urethane cover. You don't have to choose between distance or control. You can have both in one golf ball. And also, BioFit360.com. Now, if you log on to the website, you can see a lot of promos that are there that are specifically targeted to you. They want to reach out to golfers, one, because of our demographic, and two, because they know that just like 100 million Americans, golfers are suffering from pain, whether it is your back, your shoulders, your neck, your elbows, your wrists, your knees, your ankles, your feet, whatever it is that is causing you pain, CBD oil can help. They have used the expertise of over 1,000 medical professionals to safely extract the CBD oil from the hemp plant and put it in the form that will help you, whether that's a cream or whether it is going to be a gummy, you name it, they have it available for you at BioFit360.com. Do not suffer Now you can do something about it while you're still enjoying the great game of golf. I know that you guys are going to love this interview that we have coming up for you. It was with Michael O'Keefe, who, of course, played the iconic Danny Noonan in the iconic movie Caddyshack. And I was trying to think, say maybe other than Goldfinger, right, James Bond, was there ever a movie where golf was dealt with in a way that absolutely nailed it. Now, much of Caddyshack was about making fun of all of us golfers, right? And the whole kind of country club lifestyle. And that's part of what made the movie so great because each character that was in that film feels like someone that we've met before, especially if you're like me and you came from on the working side of the golf industry Every one of those characters that you saw, not only one, probably hundreds of people that fit perfectly into that mold. So it was great because not only did we have lines that we'll never forget, like, ooh, my arm, I think it's broken, but maybe even the fact that we can laugh at ourselves. Well, what an honor it was to have Michael O'Keefe join us on the program. If you remember, this was just before the U.S. Open. And he was telling us that his intent was to try to caddy at Wingfoot. I mean, that's the area that he's from. He knows golf, obviously. Even had the old Caddyshack hat on. And as it turned out, after this interview, we found out that he did get a bag for the practice rounds at the U.S. Open in September. Very cool story, perhaps even more cool, because Michael O'Keefe takes us back to a time and place. 
that time and place preceded the making of the movie Caddyshack and him being cast as Danny Noonan. He even told this great story about Mark Hamill, who, of course, was Luke in Star Wars. All amazing stuff. Enjoy. On this program over the years, we've had the pleasure of being joined by countless Hall of Famers, athletes, and individuals who have reached the pinnacle of their profession. Well, the Oscars is globally recognized as the pinnacle of the acting profession. And since its inception, there have been only 933 actors and actresses who have ever been nominated. That's right. Less than 1,000 people ever. Our next guest is one of those people, having been nominated for an Academy Award in 1981 for Best Supporting Actor for his portrayal of Ben Meekham in The Great Santini. Michael O'Keefe first started acting in 1974, and since that time, you're sure to have seen him in any number of countless films and TV shows that he's either starred in, co-starred in, or guest starred in. If you peek at his TV resume, just as an example, you'll see shows like MASH, Roseanne, Law and Order, The West Wing, Homeland, and The Blacklist. Turn the page over to his movie credits, and there's The Slugger's Wife, Michael Clayton, Ghosts of Mississippi, The Pledge, Too Big to Fail, and most recently, Instant Family. But surely, and especially if you're listening to this golf program, you'll remember Michael forever and always as Danny Noonan, the focal point of probably the greatest golf movie of all time, Caddyshack. It's a delight and it's an honor to welcome Michael to the program. Michael, how are you, sir? Dat, you brought up about the uh, nominations for uh, Oscars. I'd never heard that before. That's really interesting. Yeah, and it's a credit to you. I mean, it's interesting to me that, as I understand it, when you started in 1974, it was for commercial in 74, right? Wasn't that where, where you first started acting? I was before that, actually. I was in high school, uh, probably 72 or something like that. Um, and then um, <clears throat> 74 is the first year I went to L.A., and I did the Waltons that year and MASH. <laughs> Worked with Mark Hamill, actually, on um, uh, on a show he had uh, with uh, Gary Busey and Jack Elam, the great kind of Western actor. They were family, a Texas family. It's a funny story because I bumped into Mark like the next year, like 75 or 76 on the Universal lot. And I was doing this, my first feature with Charlton Heston called Grey Lady Down. He said, so what are you up to? I said, I'm doing this thing with Heston, blah, blah, blah. I said, what about you? He goes, you know, I did this little thing with Alec Guinness. It's like a, you know, I don't know, science fiction. I don't know if it's any good. I don't know. I'm not sure it's going to work. And of course, How cool is that? <laughs> the, the genesis of Star Wars. So, Michael, you grew up in the Westchester County area. I know I know you, you grew up in, in an Irish-American family and all the rest. I'm curious how it was in, in your youth that you decided that acting was something that you wanted to go into. How did you find that path? I was dropped as a child. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> you know, it's, it was it, it was kind of funny in a way. It was sort of more like synchronicity or destiny in a sense because the house that we moved into when I was 12 was used by the prior owners or had been rented by the prior owners to this location scout, and they filmed the TV commercials and TV shows there. So oh. one day he knocked on the door, asked my mother if he, she'd be interested in renting the house. She said yes, 
he noticed me and my six brothers and sisters, all of whom were reasonably good looking. And he said, you know, your kids are kind of good looking and they could probably model if you want. And I, I do that kind of work as well. And so then I was about 12 and we actually, as a family, all seven kids and my mother did a magazine ad for a, um, a washing machine kind of thing, you know, and um, and then I kind of just kept going from there. I never really looked back. Your your mother, I saw someplace online. Was she a, a Fitzpatrick or a Fitzgerald? Fitzpatrick, yeah. And where where in Ireland is does the family originate from on each side? Well, the Fitzpatricks are from Wicklow, from what I can tell. The O'Keefe's are from uh, Cork. And um, the, my father's uh, maternal um, grandmother, or his, his mother's maiden name, my maternal grandmother, was a Smith. And I've actually been to that family house. That's still in my family. That's in Kildare, in oh, a little God. town called Monaster Revan. And um, Brian Smith, who's one of my cousins, still lives there with his family. Oh, that is very cool indeed. How, how cool must it be for you that when you're in your profession – that you become a global citizen. So when you go back to a place like, like Ireland, I'm Irish too, so I thought those stories were very neat, that when you go back home, that, that you have people that recognize what you've done and, and who you are even before you get there? Well, it's kind of, you know, it's always fun, you know, to be sort of, I was once traveling in the ring of Kerry and uh, I walked into an art gallery, which was essentially a barn that had burned and there were some really nice little paintings on the wall and the, the gallery owner came down the, steps from his office in the attic and before he actually got down to the landing on the barn floor where my my wife and i were he looked at me he said oh you're that bloke from roseanne (laughs) (laughs) it's all about how they connect right in which place they've seen you you know when you talk about your family and your six brothers and sisters and growing up the way that you did you also grew up as as a boy and into your formative years through the, the 1960s, particularly the late 1960s and into those early 1970s. And I'm, I'm curious if when you look back and reflect on your youth and, if you will, the social turmoil, if there's any connection, do you think, to what kids maybe might be seeing or experiencing today with, with uh, things going on in our world? Well, absolutely. You know, I, I just watched uh, Democracy Now! the other day, and uh, Amy Goodman had Angela Davis on, you know, and she was a central focus of the 60s uh, civil rights movement and what led to the Black Liberation Movement. And she was talking about how she never thought she would be alive to see a combination of factors uh, that we're seeing today and the, the kind of social change and social upheaval that we're seeing today. So I, I think there's a lot of parallels that can be drawn and, you know, look, look back to John Lewis's career in life. You know, we just lost him. He was a great inspiration to a lot of people. I remember my high school, probably one of the biggest days in my life was when Abby Hoffman came to talk. And I'm trying to remember now, it would have been about like almost 10 years later, I was doing a play at the Long Wharf Theater and he had come out of hiding. You know, he had been in hiding, in, I think, Vermont or Maine. And finally came back and faced the music and, and went to trial. And he had come to see Al Pacino at the Long Wharf Theater in, in um, American Buffalo. And I was in the smaller theater next door doing this play. And there I was on the landing at the Long Wharf Theater with Abby Hoffman 10 years later. And I, I took a look at him. It was just me and him. I, I said, hey, man, we're really glad you're back. You know, glad you're back. It's interesting to to talk to you and hear about the not only the people that you've you've starred with in various capacities or of those whose whose lives have crossed paths with yours. 
are, are you a reflective sort? Do you get uh, maybe time to look at the, the dancing fires in the fireplace and just think about how this crazy life you've had where you've, you've interacted with so many legends? Well, you know, a, a lot of times, like, because I'm at the age I am, a lot of people ask about, you know, do I have any one job or one thing as an actor that I, you know, am more fond of than not? And really the fact that it even worked out is the thing for me. You know, I'm, I'm very clear about uh, how I felt as a teenager and what I was trying to do and why I wanted to do it. And I have these images of walking around Manhattan with the, we used to call them a bag, you know, it was like a leather shoulder bag on your shoulder. And I would have like a change of clothes so I could go to a dance class or work out or go to a yoga class in it and, um, you know, some resume pictures and I was knocking on doors and, you know, two years ago I did a play at the Cherry Lane Theater and, and it was really pretty much the same thing. There was a yoga studio about four blocks from the theater I used to go to and then I would go down to the theater and it was really, you know, heaven for me. Um, it was all I ever really wanted to do as a young man and, and in a way it's all worked out better than I could have planned, you know, so I'm really grateful for that. I'm also grateful that I've got a kind of second act as a father, you know, I got married. Uh, my, my anniversary is actually coming up on September 18th, my nine year anniversary with my wife, Emily, and we have a seven year old son. Um, you know, and to have, to have that, that happen really changed when that happened. It really changed my motivation for working and, and why I wanted to work and what I wanted to do when I worked. And, you know, um, being there for a kid, you know, you learn the real, you know, um, value of being of service to somebody because it's really about him, you know. And, you know, because I'm an actor, you know, I'm totally self-centered and, you know, this is not, <laughs> not, 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 I'm not the most altruistic person you're going to ever meet. But you have to refocus as a parent, you know, and realize that, you know, your kid needs you and you need to be there for them. And, you know, 90%, for me at least, 90% of being a parent is just showing up, you know, being there when he wakes up, getting him some breakfast, getting him on his feet, getting him out the door, all that stuff, you know. Does he have any idea that that his dad lives in a world that's very different than the rest of the world? I mean, this is the only thing he's ever known, right? How, at, at, as you mentioned, at the age you are now, how much fun is it to have a boy that's that age? Well, you know, it's a blast. It keeps me young, you know, and it keeps me going, especially during this quarantine. You know, we've gone on some really, really long hikes together. He's actually now at the age, he's going to be eight in November, and he's at the age where he can keep up with me on the trail. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know... And I don't think he really, I mean, he knows I'm an actor and he knows his mom's an actor, but I don't think he really clues into it, if you know what I mean, in the larger sense, you know, like he's seen me like occasionally will be flipping through the channels and some old thing I will have done will have come on so he can, you know, he recognizes me. Um, but I don't think he kind of, you know, sees the big picture yet because we, you know, we live in the country. We're way away from things. We're not in a city. It's not like I'm getting recognized all the time or not that I get recognized all that much, but you know, we're, we're way away from, you know, city culture and stuff. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what, you know, he, he might wake up to it a little bit later on. When, when you're out and about and whether people recognize you as the bloke from Roseanne or wherever it is, there has to be those moments when you can tell people are searching to make the connection of how and why you look so familiar to them over the years. Sure. What are the, some of the crazy things and theories that people had of who you were in their life? A lot of time people think I owe them money, mm. you know, <laughs> <laughs> don't you owe me money? Um, a lot of time they think we, you know, we grew up together. A lot of the time they think we're neighbors, you know, that I tend to, play along to get along. I was going to say, you go with it. 
Yeah, I usually just say, yeah, you know, you look familiar to me too, or, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't carry a copy of my resume with me when I'm out on the street, you know, but when they recognize me, you know, it's, um, it's fun and it's fine. And, you know, in, in a way it's why I have a career. Uh, the, the, I'll tell you a story about the Danny Noonan thing, you know, and this is the 40th year of, of Danny Noonan, you know, and Caddyshack, which is why I came up with this sort of loopy idea of being a caddy at the U S open. Mm-hmm. Um, but about, 15 years ago, a little less than that, I was doing a TV pilot for Mike Binder, uh, who's a great writer, director. And the wardrobe designer said, you know, I'm a huge Caddyshack fan, almost immediately upon me starting my wardrobe fitting, to which I replied, you know, yeah, great, you know. And she kind of read me, you know, because as actors, we're always looking to be recognized for a body of work. You know, in my case, <clears throat> I wouldn't be, you know, I, I wouldn't mind being recognized for work I've done in the 21st century as opposed to the 20th century. You know, so I, you know, I always had this little teeny bit of an edge about Caddyshack. And um, when we finished the fitting, she said, do you mind if I tell you why I said that? And I said, no, sure. And she said, you know, my dad just died of leukemia. And the only thing that relieved the tension for us as a family would be, was when we would gather in his hospital room and watch Caddyshack uh, and everybody would laugh and have a great time, you know. And when she told me that, it really, um, it really broke my heart, and it really made me realize the the place that Caddyshack holds for people, and and why those kind of comedies um, have more value than you can ever really imagine. So that really changed the way I felt about you know all that stuff. So now if people nooning me on the street, I'm like, yeah, man, that's right. It's good, isn't it? We'll have more of it coming up on this special edition of the Fairways of Life show. And we want to thank all of our partners who make this possible, not only during this festive period, but all year long. It includes FrenchLick.com, where we went just a few short weeks ago and enjoyed the beauty of a very special place that embodies not only great history and culture, but also all the modern luxuries that you would expect. And, by the way, two great championship-caliber golf courses built by Pete Dye and Donna Ross, both of which have hosted major championships. FrenchLick.com is where you can find more information on that. You can always log on to touredge.com for more information on everything that they are doing pound for pound, the best performance and value in the game of golf. A massive product line with product for the best of the world, right down to those who are just starting the game. Where and how do you need to fill in your golf bag? You'll find it at touredge.com. More of the Fairways of Life show coming up after these words. If you listen to the wind, you can hear it. That's Ireland calling you home. Home to the greatest Lynx golf courses in the world, defined by soaring dunes, undulating fairways, venerable bunkers, and whimsical green complexes. From Royal Portrush in Northern Ireland, site to the 2019 Open Championship, to Ballyliffin, La Hinch, and Ballybunion, numbering among the Lynx golf masterpieces awaiting your golfing sojourn. Come home to Ireland and enjoy the most incredible golf experience of your life. Get started at Ireland.com. Nestled amongst the hills of the Hoosier National Forest resides a classic American destination, the French Lick Resort. Experience the ultimate in golf at the Pete Dye Course at French Lick, voted number one course in Indiana on Golf Week's Best You Can Play for 10 years in a row. The Donald Ross Course at French Lick has been named Indiana's number two course in Golf Week's Best You Can Play rankings every year since 2011. Come experience old world opulence amid modern comfort served with Midwestern charm. Visit FrenchLick.com. FootJoy, the number one outerwear brand in golf, is committed to helping you extend the golf season as long as possible this year by providing the best gear to make every day playable. 
The new Hydro Series line of jackets provides you with the ultimate protection wherever you're teeing it up this season. Whether it's the Hydro Light, the perfect lightweight summer jacket for, say, golf in Florida, Arizona, the Hydro Knit, which protects like a rain jacket but feels like a mid-layer for places like California or the Carolinas, FootJoy has a rain protection to keep you dry and playing through any weather. Also joining the FJ Performance lineup this year is the all-new Hydro Tour Rain Jacket, designed to withstand the most extreme weather conditions. Play more golf this year and get the gear you need to play in those conditions. Visit FootJoy.com M-E-D-P. What's your bucket list destination? Where have you always wanted to go? What's the number one thing that holds people back from doing that? It's fear of logistics. I don't know where to stay. I don't know how to get tea times. I don't know where to go. I don't know who should take me there. Well, I'll tell you who knows the answer to all those questions. TheGolfTravelGroup.com. That's why the Fairways of Life show has aligned ourselves with these experts. And is there some place you want to go, like the Open or a President's Cup or a Ryder Cup? They can take care of that as well. What is your golf bucket list? Where do you want to go? Do it with thegolftravelgroup.com. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the all-new Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try the new Tour B. The Tour Ball. Reinvented. The best golf experiences are the unique ones that combine breathtaking beauty, inspiring designs, and refined luxuries. Streamsong Resort, conveniently located in Central Florida, is unlike any golf experience you've ever had. Award-winning courses by Corin Crenshaw, Tom Doak, and Gil Hans will challenge and amaze in a dunescape you'll swear cannot exist in Florida. Awaken your senses then at their opulent spa or enjoy world-class bass fishing, archery, or clay shooting. The options are endless and you can cap it all off with luscious and distinctive culinary choices to delight any palate. Visit StreamSongResort.com today to plan your golf trip that's everything that you would want and nothing like you've ever experienced. I love that. In 1979, you guys started production for Caddyshack. How, Michael, did you go about getting that role was it the same as you described kind of kind of beating on the doors and and trying out in the auditions well yeah i had to audition for harold ramus in new york which i remember quite well and then i met with harold and brian Doral murray and doug kenny in los angeles for a callback um the good part the, the easier part for me was that i had already worked for orion and don uh the great santini so all the film executives and the, the head of the distribution company mike metaboy already kind of knew my work so all I had to do was win over, which was no easy feat, but I had to win over Harold and Brian and Doug, and I did. Uh, and of course, you know, they, they asked me two pertinent questions, you know, did you have and do you golf? And I, and I said, yeah, of course. And, um, you know, I was lying about golf, but I did caddy at the Wingfoot when I was a teenager. So I had that going for me, but in the words of, uh, you know, Fremish Greenskeeper, I had that going for me. But, um, you know, I had to kind of really get my golf game together. I had to go back to, unfortunately, the people at the Wingfoot, Tom Neoporti, his son Joe, and his assistant pro Dave Scholes all kind of chipped in and spent a lot of time with me and helped me develop a swing so that when, when I went down to Florida six weeks later, I at least, at least you know, I looked like I had a reasonably decent golf swing, you know. So the connection between the movie that we know and love 
and the role that you thought that you were getting after these various auditions and getting back together with Harold and the writers and, and, and Brian and Doug and all the rest. Was the role that we saw on the actual finished product the role that you thought you were going to have going in? No, the script more or less got thrown out. Uh, it was, as Doug liked to call it, a Bildungsroman, which is a fancy German word for a novel that is, uh, is about coming of age. So it was really much more about Noonan's journey and going off to college and all that stuff. And But very uh, early on, within the first week, Harold uh, realized that in the combination of Rodney and Ted, uh, who had very different but kind of easily meshed sensibilities, and Billy and... Chevy, who were very similar um, in opposition to those two, um, that, you know, this was sort of a modern day Marx Brothers that he was going to be able to take advantage of. And so they very quickly saw that that's where the strength of the movie was. And frankly, I'm glad they did because, you know, I, I have my own kind of skills and, and, you know, things I can do as an actor. But Billy and Chevy and, and Rodney and Ted are in a completely different league from me than uh, in, ter in terms of comedy and, and comedy timing and comedy insight and, and improv. And they all knew that. Harold knew that, Doug knew that, and Brian knew that. And, and it was a really, it was a good call. Because if they had stuck with the movie, we probably would have had, you know, I mean, or the original concept for the movie, they probably would have had a good, a good enough movie, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. But it wouldn't be this kind of, you know, goofball, craziness that you that you know that people love quoting because those guys were their capacity to come up with stuff and you know create stuff on the fly is uh, you know it's it's genius you know very 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 few people can do it as far as i'm concerned that's their skill set is is more refined than those that you know we think of academy awards being you know like a, a rarefied air of less than a thousand people those guys actually are in the same kind of rarefied if not a more rarefied air because um yeah, so the, the 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 very famous and stupid old joke for actors is that you know the actor's on his deathbed and, and his wife says, "Are you okay?" He says, "You know," he said, "Dying's hard, but comedy's harder." <laughs> so you know, it's it's hard. Do you, I wonder what what the reason is, uh, Mike? What your theory is of this that Caddyshack uh, has so much lore and myth that surrounds it, much of it for. The, the people that you just discussed, obviously, uh, you used the word improv and, and there's this idea that the script in many ways was literally thrown out as they were filming and that, and that the, the actors went off in whatever direction they chose. How much of the connection between what we think we know and the reality of what took place in the making of this, this film, where is that bridge and, and uh, how much of it is just our own emotions well, you know, I, I, I don't know if I can even answer that question. I, I do sometimes relate to Caddyshack the way that David Crosby said he related to the 60s, which is that if if you remember the making of Caddyshack, you weren't really there. <laughs> um, you know, we we had this kind of crazy, and it was just the zeitgeist of the time. You know, if you go back and look at the period, most film productions had a very similar kind of dynamic, you know, where there was a lot of crazy partying and, you know, you would be out all night and then you would go into the makeup trailer and, you know, stick your face in a in a in a sink full of ice cubes and put some visine in your eyes and run out and try and figure out what you were going to do next. You know, um, and that was something that Ted, by the way, Ted Knight was not crazy about. He was the ultimate professional, and he found all that to be rather in bad taste, which, in a sense, sort of served the dynamic between him and Chevy. So it, it kind of found its way, you know, to work for us. 
that's not to say that there wasn't a lot of diligent hard work because there was, you know, and the people that, you know, it, it's easy to talk about the legendary partying, but it's the same thing like with Nicholson, you know, who's a legendary partier. When he gets on the set, you know, he's the hardest worker there. He wants the actors to have a great time. He wants the director to get what they want. He wants things to be, you know, insightful and flow and smooth. And really, that's what everybody in Caddyshack wanted. Everybody really, really worked hard to make that happen. Yeah, I mean, to the the partying side, I saw a quote from you that said that cocaine was driving everyone. Was that a reflection of the time as much as anything else? Or was, was that just sure. Caddyshack was a big party? Yeah, sure. That was the times. And, you know, Caddyshack was a big party. But, you know, everybody thought it was going to make us smarter and funnier and more handsome. And, you know, clearly it didn't. I mean, <laughs> one of the reasons we lost Doug Kenny was that, you know, yeah. Doug got strung out on cocaine and then died about three months after and as, as his friends like to say, he didn't commit suicide. He tripped and fell while he was looking for a place to commit suicide. Um, but, you know, the reason that happened is, I think, directly related to the fact that he was strung out on cocaine and, you know, clinically depressed from all of that. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, there was fun to be had. But, you know, there's a there's a, a, a dark side to that uh, to that process. And um, we lost a lot of our best talents uh, that were young to that kind of thing, you know, and it was that whole era was a kind of wake up call. That's why you never see anything like that ever uh, on a film set or a TV set anymore. You know, it's, it's just not, you know, it's not happening. It hasn't been happening for a long time. Was that dark side, Michael, was that wake up call one for you? Totally. It was the last time I ever did cocaine, you know, it was on that movie. It was, it was, you know, it was, it was a blast, but I mean, you know, we were all a wreck by the time it was over. The actual rap party was sort of just a bunch of us hung over sitting around going, man, I can't, I can't believe we survived this, you know. So, you know, it was, it was, it was, it's rough on, you know. When did, I mean, Cad, when Caddyshack came out, you guys did well. It was a top 20 grossing movie for the year, et cetera. But when did it start to take on kind of a, a cult status? When, when did it start to impact your life that you found out that, that you were a character that will live in the hearts and minds of, of people forever? You know, the, the film was not well received critically, which was one of the reasons Doug was not happy with it. And, um, you know, we all thought it would kind of go the way that most movies go, which would, they would, you know, they hit the theaters, they come and go and they go to video or whatever. Um, but something happened, and I really don't know when, and I and I don't even know how. But something kind of clicked in the collective unconscious of the American movie-going audience, and then there was this, especially this thing that happened where, twenty years later, you know, if you go to like two thousand, then parents started showing it to their teenage kids, and that's when it really started getting this kind of um, shared, you know, bone on me kind. Of feeling that that you know you want to turn on your friends and you're the caddyshack you know i just got an email from some guy you know because of uh, putting my feelers out about trying to get a bag in the in the u.s open this year at wingfoot i got an email from scott some guy that said his he was talking to his dad and his dad had never seen and he said that night we just went sat him right down he was in his 70s sat his dad down said let's watch caddyshack his dad loved it you know so it has that kind of thing for people they just like sharing it with people all right, so Michael, to, to wrap up, I actually have three areas of question for you. The first one is, you talked about the fact that at some point you almost had kind of a little chip on your shoulder about a Caddyshack until you found out how it connected with Hearts and Minds again. Uh, my curiosity is, when you look back on it now, perhaps even before that revelation, 
Was there any time that you thought it was it was it was more of a curse than a blessing? The role that you got. Yeah, only when I went to play golf and people had these expectations that I was going to be like you know, birdieing every hole or something. <laughs> but you know, I mean, any actor will tell you they're happy to be in a hit and they're you know they're happy to be remembered for it. And you know, I'm grateful to this day. All right, now to this day, the acting credits that we went through at the start of this program are stout. But you're working on projects for Showtime, for Netflix, and HBO. One called City on the Hill with Kevin Bacon. The other on Netflix, Things Heard and Seen, and then a new pilot with uh, on HBO, which sounds fascinating with John C. Riley about the Lakers getting magic. Uh, you talked about the motivation to continue working as much as you are because of your young boy and and more. But this is a pretty impressive array too. Well, thanks. You know, I'm grateful for those opportunities. I was especially happy to get the offer from Adam McKay, who directed the thing with John C. Riley. Riley plays Jerry Buss, who buys the Lakers from Jack Kent Cook, and I play Jack Kent Cook. So that was a lot of fun because John's one of my all-time favorite actors. He's one of the funniest, relaxed. You know, he's just everything you would want to want to be with. You know, with another actor. And Adam too is a director, really insightful, and a lot of fun improving too. We we kind of got a lot of those that side of that stuff working as well. Uh, Kevin Bacon's incredible in City on a Hill. The other actor who's in the lead with him, Aldous Hodge, is great. Gil Hennessy's on the show. Uh, some wonderful writing. Chuck McLean, this young writer, and Tom Fontana runs it. And then Things Heard and Scenes with one of my favorite young actors, Amanda Seyfried, and a young English actor named James Norton. And they play husband and wife, and it's kind of a slash horror murder mystery movie. And I play a sheriff who's trying to figure out who killed who. Um, you know, so I had a, I had a great year last year, you know, and um, and now I'm just looking to get a bag, man. I'm looking to get a loop at the U.S. Open. That was the last question I was going to ask you today, Michael O'Keefe. Why? What, how did you decide that, that this was something that you wanted to pursue? I don't know. You know, it was, it's 40 years since we did Caddyshack. I got a lot of interview requests this year, and I have a lot of fond memories of Wingfoot. And the fact that they were playing the Open there just kind of sparked my imagination, you know, and so stay tuned. It might work out. You know, I might, I might just uh, get get a few uh, a few loops in. Are Are you getting any interest? Can I ask you that much? Well, there's some nibbles, but you know we haven't closed a deal yet, so I can't say anything yet. You know, it's like that kind of thing when you're negotiating a movie deal. You can't talk about it until you sign the contract. Well, we appreciate what you have talked about, my friend. You, like I mentioned to you, the role that you had in Caddyshack and everywhere else, right down to the bloke from Roseanne and more has meant a lot to a lot of people. It becomes part of our lives as much as as yours, I would dare say. And I thank you for spending a few moments of of your life with us today and recounting. Hey, Matt, thanks for having me, man. Best of luck with uh, Fairways of Life. Thank you very much. So much fun reliving memories from the year that was. Now, look, 2020 was definitely an odd year. But through it all, we decided to continue doing the Fairways of Life show. We were able to build this great new studio and launch Fairways of Life through multiple mediums, including both on the audio side and on the television side. And we're super excited about everything that lies in the future. We're super appreciative as well for the fact that you guys are the reason that all of this is happening for us. And we thank you and we toast you for it. And we also thank our partners without whom we just could not have done any of this as well. And that includes Ben Hogan Golf, where you can log on to BenHoganGolf.com and check out the GS53 Max driver. It is absolutely maxed out with technology. The one thing it's not maxed out with is its price tag. Very aggressively priced for a club that is absolutely going to make you play your best golf 
ever. BenHoganGolf.com, and best of all probably is because it has the Ben Hogan name on the sole of the club. Also, Ireland.com, so proud to be an ambassador for Tourism Ireland, and I know it's a bucket list for so many, and especially now at this time of year when we're looking back on things we probably in large part want to forget. But we want to look forward to what lies just around the corner, and visiting Ireland could lie just around the corner for you. Log on to Ireland.com, and you can see everything that they have to offer, including the greatest Lynx golf courses in the world. A toast to all of you. Thank you for joining us for today's show of Fairways of Life, and we look forward to being with you once again. Wearing the right golf shoe matters. That's why FootJoy offers more styles of shoes for more types of players than anybody else. So you can get matched with the right golf shoe for your game on FootJoy.com with the FJ Shoe Finder. By answering a few short questions, you can find the shoe that fits your playing style and preference. Whether you walk or ride, prefer cleated or spikeless, ultra-stable or flexible. If you need a narrow or wide or extra wide, FootJoy offers the most styles for the most players and can match you with the golf shoe that's right for you. Does your golf shoe match your game? Find out with the FJ Shoe Finder. Visit footjoy.com slash shoe finder today. I'm Tiger Woods, and I chose Bridgestone. I wanted to be with a company that I knew, and then on top of that, that made superior products, so I did. I came back, and I started playing with the Bridgestone Tour BXS, and it's allowed me to maintain the spin and the feel I like around the greens, especially my short irons, but also have that penetrating flight through the wind. The aerodynamics have been phenomenal. I know the quality that Bridgestone has, R&D that's available to them, and what they were able to create that helped me win golf tournaments. Nestled amongst the hills of the Hoosier National Forest resides a classic American destination, the French Lick Resort. Experience the ultimate in golf at the Pete Dye Course at French Lick, voted number one course in Indiana on Golf Week's Best You Can Play for 10 years in a row. The Donald Ross Course at French Lick has been named Indiana's number two course in Golf Week's Best You Can Play rankings every year since 2011. Come experience old world opulence amid modern comfort served with Midwestern charm. Visit FrenchLick.com. What's your bucket list destination? Where have you always wanted to go? What's the number one thing that holds people back from doing that? It's fear of logistics. I don't know where to stay. I don't know how to get tea times. I don't know where to go. I don't know who should take me there. Well, I'll tell you who knows the answer to all those questions. TheGolfTravelGroup.com. That's why the Fairways of Life show has aligned ourselves with these experts. And is there some place you want to go, like the Open or a President's Cup or a Ryder Cup? They can take care of that as well. What is your golf bucket list? Where do you want to go? Do it with thegolftravelgroup.com. At Ben Hogan Golf, we manufacture some of the finest golf equipment in the world in our small factory in Fort Worth, Texas. That's because we build each club by hand using the same process Mr. Hogan created when he started his company 65 years ago. We call it micromanufacturing, no mass production, and no shortcuts. Visit BenHoganGolf.com to learn more about our tour quality products and factory direct prices. It's time for you to discover Streamsong, a new kind of resort that takes the everyday ordinary to the absolutely extraordinary. Three internationally acclaimed link style courses by golf architecture's iconic foursome of Gil Hans, Tom Dope, Bill Kaur, and Ben Crenshaw that provide a golf experience distinguished as unlike any you've ever had before, with undulating fairways navigating through wild grasses and deep water ponds and lakes, towering sand dunes to find the unexpected experience of playing golf at Streamsong, the ultimate legendary golf destination set apart. 
by the unexpected. Streamsongresort.com.